turns out like it's supposed to this afternoon at 4 o'clock, I will wear something from the Vikings next week. <laughs> Maybe the last thing I do here. <laughs> but I was warned last night that there are only certain places where I dare do that. And since this is, su since this is such a loving body, I might get away with it. It's all fun and games. Um, in your bulletin, or you should have picked up, and Paul referenced it, the sheets that we've been looking at. There are extra copies available as you leave. If you didn't get one, if you need one from other weeks, the Eye Center directly below has extra copies, both of the sheets that I've provided and the sheets that the prayer committee have invited it, you to participate with. There's a dual approach during this 40 days of fasting and prayer. There's the Sunday preaching, which is designed for individual examination of our spiritual life. And then there is the prayer team um, work that um, we've, we will look at it at the close of my message this morning, which is really examining the, the corporate function of the church, we as a body, as we come together. So I want to make that clear. And this sheet, there are two passages of scripture on the left side, one from Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And 1 Peter 3.10, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. We're now in our 13th day of fasting and prayer. It'll uh, be interesting to know how it's going. Some of you have talked with me. One thing that um, we need to avoid is, to make, is the process of making this a, a legalistic discipline. Some of you have struggled with that, and um, I don't want this to become a legalistic discipline, i.e., if you're fasting a meal and you don't fast the meal at some time or another that you're going to go to the opposite place of heaven. Um, the most important aspect of this 40 days is prayer. And I want us to understand that. Fasting is a tool. And uh, let's not make this a legalistic situation. Again, what is most important is our devotion to prayer, not necessarily the discipline of fasting. Having said that, sacrificing a meal and devoting to prayer is of great value. Last week, we once again directed our attention to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. We're going to look at it again because it sets the foundation for where we're headed. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, 
and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And we ask the question, what prevents us from reaching the finish line strong? And the author of Hebrews tells us that it is twofold. It is weight and sin. Um, sin is usually obvious to us, but we've asked about the weight that slows us down because that's not quite as obvious. It can, but, the, but the weight is something that often interferes um, with reaching the finish line and reaching the finish line strong. And last week we examined 12 weights and sins that interfere with reaching the finish line strong. And we, we looked at the subject of our actions and our attitudes. And um, we'll just list the weights and sins that we looked at last week. Anger, bitterness, not submitting, selfish ambition, pride, malice, divisiveness, stubbornness, unforgiving, unreconciling, sexual impurity, and misuse of authority. And we saw that the scripture exhorted us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to examine ourselves, to see if our faith is genuine, to test ourselves. Surely we know that Jesus Christ is among us. If not, we have failed the test of genuine faith. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This morning, we're going to continue this spiritual examination that we've been called to by examining our heart and our speech. And again, you should have received the insert that we're looking at this morning and a reminder that extra copies are at each door and at the eye center downstairs. Question number one has to do with the topic of gossip. And again, we're only introducing short quips of each of these. Um, it's intended that you take this sheet with you during your prayer time this coming week, and you can go deeper into each of these areas. But the question is, have I talked about others behind their backs, betrayed a confidence, or stirred up dissension? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife Gossip separates the best of friends. That's powerful. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. I looked up the definition of gossip and it says that it's casual or un unconstrained conversation or reports about, about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. And the first thing that came to my mind was social media. Today, if there ever was a divisive thing, it's also a helpful thing, 
It's social media. There are things, so many things on social media that we share with one another that aren't even true, right? Um, it, it's something that years back, when I, if I would have preached this sermon years back, I would, we wouldn't even be talking about social media. It would be just about interaction with one another face to face. But today we have a whole nother situation. Have I talked about others behind their backs, betrayed a confidence, or stirred up dissension? Question number two, grumbling and complaining. Have I murmured or muttered, harbored secret displeasure, complained, been negative, or whined about circumstances? Well, most of us could say, let's move on to the next one. But we'll look at it. James chapter 5, verse 9 says, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Philippians 2.14, Do everything without complaining and arguing. It didn't say that there are some things that you have permission to complain and argue about. It says what? Do everything without complaining and arguing. And I found that complaining and uh, arguing arise from the same thing, self-centeredness. When it's all about me and my situation and I feel like, woe is me, I'm going to go out and eat worms, it becomes all about me. The Life Application Bible says our lives should be characterized by moral purity, patience, and peacefulness so that we will shine brightly in a dark and depraved world. A transformed life is an effective witness to the power of God's Word. Are you shining brightly or are you clouded by complaining and arguing? Don't let page numbers confuse you. <laughs> okay, you can have conversations with each other for a moment here. I will not complain or argue about this. Don't let, yeah, I found it, don't let dissensions snuff out your light. Shine out for God. Your role is to shine until Jesus returns and bathes the world in his radiant glory. You know what the first thing that came to my mind as I read that? It was the old Sunday school chorus, this little light of mine. You know, sometimes we think we're adults and we're beyond these things, but really it's, it becomes something pretty simplistic. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I'm going to let it shine till Jesus comes. But when we have grumbling and complaining and dissensions, it hinders our light. It hinders the whole possibility of being effective in our witness for Jesus Christ. Why would somebody else want what we have 
if all they see is grumbling and complaining. I know it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. So I had to, re- I had to preach to myself there. Question number three, falsehood. Have I exaggerated or used deceit telling partial or distorted truths? So many of these are closely related. Ephesians 4.25, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Proverbs 12.22, this is powerful. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. The Hebrew word translated lying is also translated deception, deceiving. The The word translated detest is also translated loathsome thing or abomination. In a sense, the translation of this verse could be deceptive lips are an abomination. Deceptive lips are an abomination. Powerful words speaking to us about lying, deceit, deception. It's an abomination. We need to be truthful with one another to tell the truth. The Lord detests lying lips. Question four, slander. Have I used malicious words, engaged in backbiting, and telling tales to harm? Matthew chapter 15, 19. For from the heart come, and here's a list, from from my evil heart, my less than transformed heart, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Slander is with quite a list there of horrible things. Slander is right in that list. James 4, 11, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's laws. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. 1 Peter 2, 1, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. And then, this is interesting. For all of our elders and deacons and pastors, speaking of the wives of leaders in the church, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.11, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. Powerful for any of us that are in leadership of the church and are married. There's a powerful verse, and it's not just true of the wives of the leaders in the church, it's true of the leaders of the church. The Greek word translated slander is diabolos. It's where we get diabolical. 
those who are given to finding fault with the demeanor and conduct of others, and in this case, spreading their innuendos and criticisms in the church. Diabolical. Question five. Worthless talk. Worthless talk. Have I used unwholesome or rotten words that put people down? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The Greek word here is sapros, and it has several definitions. Four are bad, rotten, decayed, unwholesome. Don't use these foul, this foul or abusive language. The Amplified Bible says, do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good for building up others according to the need and to the occasion so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. It's interesting how divisive and hurtful, rotten words can be in the body of Christ. And that's what we're really talking about, is the relationship that we have together as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we take this examination. Question six, related, re reckless words. Have I used hurtful and destructive words aimed at another? The writer of Psalms 57.4. I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. The Life Application Bible notes, say at times we may be surrounded by people who gossip about us or criticize us. And then it makes this statement, powerful. Verbal cruelty can damage us as badly as physical abuse. The power of the tongue. Verbal cruelty can damage us as badly as physical abuse. Proverbs 12, 18. Some people make cutting remarks but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 15:4, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The Amplified Bible says a soothing tongue, speaking words that build up and encourage is a tree of life, but a perversive, a perversive tongue, speaking words that overwhelm and depress, crush the spirit. I've been recipient of that, and I've been the author of that. That's why I'm thankful that I have a wife that asks me, are you sure you want to say that? 
I'll raise this a little higher. <laughs> Question seven, backbiting. Have I been sly, cunning, and revengeful in my language? Proverbs 25, 23 in the NIV says, like a north wind that brings unexpected rain is a sly tongue which provokes a horrified look. The Amplified Bible says, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, an angry countenance. Galatians 5.15, Paul says, But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. The opposite of love is biting and devouring one another. People who do not love are characterized by strife, and bitterness, and they end up destroying one another. Question number eight, judging motives. This, I think, is something that most of us struggle with, especially if we have a low self-esteem. Have I attributed evil intention to others based upon my assumption, claiming to know the purpose or motivations of another's actions or words? Assumptions too often lead us down the wrong road. We assume that somebody, the way they said it or the way we heard it, is that there was a motivation behind it and we draw a conclusion. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Paul says in Romans 14, So why do you condemn one another? Another believer, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue confess, well, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time, before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Judging motives. Question nine. This drifts off into a little different direction. Following people, not God. Have I made loyalty to a person or group the issue rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ? Christ. I think this is a real stumbling block to successful completion of the race to 
many in the church today. There is a more of a loyalty to people or a person than there is to the Lordship of Jesus Christ often. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you just acting just, aren't you ju uh, acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. What's amazing to me is uh, I, the thought that comes to, occurs to my mind often is when we get to heaven, we're going to find some of the people that we never thought were important in the body of Christ, who never, heard, never was a word of praise, that were completely in the background, who are going to be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. They were servants. They just watered, just planted seedlings. What we tend to take those who are visible and exalt them and build them up and um, it's uh, I have there's a, the great one of the greatest joys I have as a pastor in the church throughout the years is knowing some of these individuals that nobody else knows of that have been servants of the king totally oblivious to anybody else. Question 10. Fear. Have I responded or failed to respond out of fear for what others may think instead of out of reverence and obedience to God? Uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. That's a tough one to swallow because if somebody's holding a knife or a gun to you. Um, but nevertheless, that's what the scripture says. Life Application Bible says, fear of people can, ham can hamper everything you try to do. In extreme forms, reverence and trust is liberating. Why fear people who can do no in, excuse me, no eternal harm? Instead, trust God who can turn the harm intended by others into good for those who trust him. Luke 12, 4 to 5, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. 
But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one you need to fear. Isaiah 43, 1, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And the final question for this morning is doubt. D-O-U-B-T. Have I allowed uncertainty and doubt to keep me from trusting God and walking by faith? Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Matthew 21, 21, then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Hebrews chapter 4, God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear, and some of you might fail to experience it, for this, good, this is the good news that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because, this, this you should have underlined, because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God but only we who believe can enter this rest. Some manuscripts read they didn't combine what they heard with faith. We talked about that in ABF this morning as we were looking at the subject of vision. They didn't combine what they heard with faith. The Life Application Bible says, some of the Jewish Christians who received this letter may have been on the verge of turning back from their promised rest in Christ, just as the people in Moses' days had turned back from the promised land. In both cases, the difficulties of the present moment overshadowed the reality of God's promise, and the people doubted that God would fulfill his promise. When we trust our own efforts instead of Christ's power, we too are in danger of turning back. Our own efforts are never adequate. Only Christ can see us through. Okay, two weeks of taking a look at this self-examination. And some of you may be asking at this point, why all of this self-examination? It seems so simplistic. We learned these things when we were in children's Sunday school. Um, why all of this self-examination? Well, Galatians 4.19, I think, answers the question. Galatians 4.19 says that we are to do this until Christ is fully developed in our lives. Anybody raise their hand and say, Christ is fully developed in my, li my, my, my life. I don't think any of us are worthy of saying that. The Amplified Bible says, until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. The message paraphrase says, until Christ's life becomes visible in your life. It's the Greek word morpho, 
where we get the words form and shape, originally used of artists who shape their material into an image. It's used only here in Galatians, where the Christian is described as a little child who needs to mature until the very image of Christ is impressed upon his or her heart. Morpho, the Greek word morpho, is a derivative of another Greek word, metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis, which means to transform, to transfigure. It's the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly, all related to this word morpho. During these 40 days of fasting and prayer, and days, weeks, months, and years after, we need to continue to go through self-examination, individually and corporately, until Christ is formed within us. That's our desire, that's our goal, and that's our plan. In just a minute, Mike Butrika is going to come and share some focus on how we relate these the self-examination corporately as the body of Christ. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to take this, continue to take this self-examination. I pray that it would not only be something that we do individually, but that it would also be something that we do corporately as the church and how it relates to the church. Both are necessary. And I thank you, Father, for the leadership of this church and the participants of the body of Christ at this church for being willing to go through this period so that we can all be all about seeing the image of Jesus Christ fully developed in our church life and in our individual lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who weren't here last week, um, I just want to bring you up to speed on what the, this, well, what I'm doing up here, um, but what the prayer focus is. Uh, we're going to be doing this um, after the sermon every Sunday um, during the time of the 40 days of prayer and fasting as a way of us as a body when we're all here in one room together uh, to be able to focus on what the things are that when we leave here and we go to the business of our lives and we go to work and we, we're with our family, what we can be in alignment together with Jesus on. And um, hopefully um, it's also an opportunity to do an activity together um, and to reinforce community. Um, I also want to bring your attention to this Friday. I know it was mentioned already, but I want to mention it again, the prayer vigil that's going to be at the Rock at 7 o'clock. We really hope that as many people as possible can come out and, and, and join in on that. Uh, it will be a time of uh, more uh, intimate setting where we can uh, take time to pray and continue to move through everything that Pastor Dave has been, been focusing on uh, over the last, over a year now, um, which has been exciting. So um, this morning, I'm going to ask that you take out the insert that you do have in your uh, bulletins there. Looks like this. And this, this week's focus is purification. Um, 
And the question for meditation is, is what does God desire to change in us or make us holy? Referring to 1 Peter uh, 1.16, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when I, when I, when I read that, I want to run the other way because I realize the call that, that there is in all of that. And so this morning, I want us to not run the other way, but I want us to wrestle through this together. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read through a verse. And what I would ask that you do in your seats is bow your heads. You can get on your knees. You can walk somewhere in the room if you want to. Um, just time to focus on what I'm going to read as I read through it. And I want us to ask the question as I read through, and you'll see this is the first question for examination on your piece of paper, which is what does it look like for our church family to be prepared for Jesus's return? I'm sorry for laying that heavy of a question on you this morning at the end of a sermon, but that is the point. That is the point. So as, as if, if you will, uh, bow your heads and uh, just take some time, meditate, uh, as we read through 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24, and ask the question, what does it look like for our church family corporately, corporately to prepare for Jesus' return? And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's take a few minutes just where you're at right now, and let's just ask God, let's just listen, let's ask God that he would right now reveal to us corporately the things that uh, we must either repent of, the things that he is trying to teach in us or reveal to us during this time of, of uh, prayer and fasting. And I will close in prayer in just a few minutes.